Thank you for listening to Invisible Choir. This episode contains sensitive material, including graphic depictions of sexual assault, which some listeners may find especially distressing or traumatic. Listener discretion is advised. W.E.B. Du Bois once said that the chief problem in any community cursed with crime is not the punishment of the criminals, but preventing the young from being trained to crime. But what happens when the early warning signs for homicidal violence are mistaken for youthful immaturity and simple reckless abandon? When the community, the parents, and even the police aren't quite sure how to set a young man back on the right path after he has so clearly strayed into the darkness? This time, an invisible choir. Brutality is one of the worst things I've ever seen 24 years in law enforcement. The defendant bragged to other juveniles in the detention facility that he wanted to hide her body and save her for later. What kind of human being repays kindness with unadulterated evil? The damage inflicted on the victim was so severe that her brain was visible through the holes in her skull and shards of her hearing aid were strewn throughout the area through which she was assaulted and dragged. Okay, we're here today in the uh, state of Ohio versus Jacob LaRosa, 15 CR 942, uh, purposes for sentencing. 19-year-old Jacob LaRosa sits in a bright jail orange jumpsuit in the Trumbull County courtroom, patiently awaiting the judge to read aloud his sentencing. He sits here today for his role in one of the most depraved crimes the Niles, Ohio prosecuting attorney has ever heard of, for preying on what most consider the most innocent and helpless of our population, and for exploiting the trust of someone he knew well. But in order to understand Jacob LaRosa's crime, we must first take a look back at his earlier life and examine what happened to him and what might have well started him down a path towards murder. Tuesday, March 31st, 2015. At just after 5 p.m., the early evening calm is shattered at 502 Lafayette Avenue in Niles, Ohio, as 15-year-old Jacob LaRosa rushes into his family's home. He is disheveled, barely standing, and covered in blood. His mother comes home a short time later, only to discover him in the bathroom, crying and vomiting while kneeling over the toilet. He's stripped down to his underwear, and when his mother walks into the frightening scene, he stands up and turns towards her. She immediately notices that his hands, arms, and underwear are all covered in blood. She phones 911 and requests that police and an ambulance respond. La Rosa is quickly rushed to the St. Joseph Medical Center in Warren just a few miles north of the family's home. It's a literal race against time, Jacob explaining to his mother and police that he had been viciously assaulted by three men. Fearing the worst, they rush him to the emergency room so physicians can identify the source of his bleeding and hopefully save his life. Along the way, Jacob's behavior is alarming. He's mumbling, incoherent at times. Perhaps, they believe, he's severely concussed. But after they arrive at the hospital, doctors quickly identify a problem. Jacob doesn't have any cuts or bruises anywhere on his body, and they can't find a single explanation as to why he's covered in blood. 
And as far as his odd behavior, well, he isn't concussed at all. He's extremely intoxicated. Police call the hospital and instruct them to hold Jacob until they arrive. While leaving the scene of his home, they found another, much more disturbing crime scene unfolding at a neighbor's home just around the corner on the same block. A middle-aged woman flags a departing patrol car down after they left La Rosa's home, indicating that she too had just phoned 911 and that when entering her mother's home, discovered a grisly crime scene. There was blood in every single room of the house, and her mother's lifeless body lay cold on her bedroom floor. It's at this moment that police realize Jacob LaRosa isn't the victim of an assault at all. Instead, he's likely just committed murder. What's your emergency? I'm at 509 Cherry Street, Niles. I'm Marie Belcastro's daughter. I just walked into her house, and I finally found her house was ransacked. I need, I don't know what I need. I need to be a transport, How old is she? How old? Yeah. She was 94. I think she's dead. Deborah O'Leary, the daughter of 94-year-old Marie Bel Castro, entered her mother's home at 509 Cherry Street just after 5.20 in the evening, only to discover what looked like a slasher film movie set. There was blood everywhere, on the walls, on the furniture, and even bloody footprints walking from room to room in the quaint three-bedroom, 1,500-square-foot home. Her mother always kept the place neat and orderly, so when she walked in and saw that it was in complete disarray, with furniture tipped over and every drawer and cabinet rifled through, she frantically ran from room to room, desperately searching for her mother, Marie. And then she found her, on the bedroom floor, her pants hastily removed and her shirt still wet to the touch, completely soaked in blood. She had suffered an unimaginable death at the hands of a monster. Deborah described to the 911 operator that her mother looked, quote, like she's all smashed. She looks, she, she's in a twisted, she's twisted here in the bedroom. Police found the 94-year-old beaten to death. 15-year-old Jacob LaRosa is now being held in her murder. Because part of that 911 tape is very disturbing to hear, we decided not to air it. But what we did decide to do is come to the Niles Police Department and dig up the 15-year-old suspect's criminal record. Jacob LaRosa wasn't the victim of a random assault at all, as he had claimed. He was covered in Marie Belcastro's blood, most of it on his underwear and genitals. But why would a 15-year-old boy, still a child by society's standards, cross his backyard and into the neighbors in broad daylight and force his way into his elderly neighbor's home and commit whatever grisly crime took place inside? Police and journalists alike went straight to his criminal record, looking for any signs. Did he exhibit any violent behavior in the past? What they found was shocking. The 15-year-old had a lengthy juvenile rap sheet as long as any seasoned criminal twice his age, and perhaps, in the most bizarre turn of events, it was revealed that he had just been released from the local juvenile correctional facility a few hours before Marie Belcastro's body had been discovered, and he came walking into his own home, covered in her blood. From just September of 2013 to present, LaRosa has been named in 19 police reports. Many of the reports involve LaRosa running away. But there are other incidents involving breaking and entering, criminal theft, mischief, theft and assault. His own family reported that Jacob reads was that stealing La Rosa a glass mason's That his mother always justifies her son's actions instead of making him take responsibility.
Though there was little question of Jacob LaRosa's guilt early on in this case, the investigation was fraught with missteps, including critical oversights in the moments police first arrived at St. Joseph's Medical Center to question LaRosa as to his whereabouts in the hours immediately following his release from Trumbull County Juvenile Justice Center at 11 a.m. that morning. He had only been free for six hours before they were preparing to take him into custody again, this time for aggravated robbery, burglary, attempted rape, and murder. According to his eventual defense attorneys, Jacob LaRosa should never have been questioned at all in the hospital because he was visibly intoxicated and would never have fully understood his right to remain silent. Regardless, within minutes of the first officer responding, Jacob, still crying and vomiting now in the hospital, called out repeatedly, they're definitely going to kill me for this. Lieutenant Dan Atkins read LaRosa his rights and questioned the 15-year-old in the hospital room. When asked if he had been in Belcastro's home at all that morning or afternoon, Jacob initially denied, but later admitted that he, quote, heard screams and people yelling inside the home. He then changed his story again and admitted that he had briefly been inside of Marie Belcastro's home and that he had, quote, gotten $10 from her and nothing more. The two were familiar with each other after all, as La Rosa had on occasion in the past performed yard work in various odd jobs around her home for money. But Marie Belcastro's next-door neighbor had surveillance cameras surrounding his home. And when police began canvassing the neighborhood, they only had to walk a few steps before they had video evidence placing La Rosa at the scene of the crime, entering through the very side door that had been forcefully broken through. They also had footage of La Rosa leaving the scene, carrying the very liquor bottles that were missing from Belcastro's basement, heading back towards his family's house through the alley that separated their homes. Though he didn't fit the image most had in their minds of someone capable of so callously murdering a 94-year-old woman, Jacob LaRosa was prime suspect number one, and the evidence against him was overwhelming. And what most believed would prove a speedy trial and conviction stalled on for nearly three years, and it would be nearly as long before the public had any idea of just how cruel and unusual Marie Bell Castro's murder actually was. How do you solve a crime in reverse when you believe that someone was murdered but have no clue who the victim was? We have to do our job, and we have to find out who did they kill, if it's possible. How are we going to do that? I'm Jake Halpern, and this is Deep Cover, The Nameless Man. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Looking somewhat out of place wearing jail clothes and flip-flops and handcuffed behind his back, 15-year-old Jacob LaRosa was led into court this morning. As his parents wiped away tears, the teenager heard the charges against him for the first time. Today was a plea hearing. It's the same as an arraignment for an adult. LaRosa is charged with aggravated murder, robbery, burglary, and attempted rape in the beating death of 94-year-old Marie Belcastro a week and a half ago inside her Cherry Street home in Niles. This morning, prosecutors filed papers to eventually have the teenager tried as an adult. We have not received uh, 
any evidence or anything of that nature than what we've gathered ourselves. Um, therefore, we can't make any comment. For now, the boy remains in detention with another hearing at the end of the month. There are several steps left to go um, in the juvenile court uh, to determine what's going to happen from there. If prosecutors are able to show probable cause at that hearing, the next step will be to determine whether or not the boy can be tried as an adult. Despite the multiple efforts of LaRosa's defense attorneys, he was taken into custody at Trumbull County Juvenile Justice Center, where he remained for nearly three years while his case was caught in near-constant legal limbo. His defense, arguing that he should be charged and tried as a juvenile because he had not yet exhausted all of the rehabilitative programming available to him, and that he suffered a uniquely difficult home life and struggled with various mental health-related illnesses. The prosecution positioned LaRosa as a cold, calculated killer, someone who ought to be tried as an adult because they had the wherewithal to craft a fake story in the aftermath of the horrific murder, demonstrating he knew just how serious his actions actually were that day. The motion was granted, and the case bound over for LaRosa to face trial as an adult. Let me give you fair warning. You best be on your very best behavior. Judge Sandra Harwood issuing a stern warning to 16-year-old Jacob LaRosa. I want to make something really clear to you. I don't like what I have heard in regards to your continuous infractions down in the juvenile detention center. This reprimanding comes after she announced her decision to transfer his case to Common Pleas Court. Prosecutors requested a $3 million bond saying he's walked away from some facilities and in testimony during the hearing last week even talked about planning an escape. We're looking forward to presenting this case to a grand jury and proceeding to prosecution in the adult court, but I could not thank uh, Judge Harwood for her uh, very detailed and thoughtful analysis and uh, really a, a decision that is well-deserved. The attack happened in March, just hours after LaRosa was released from the Trumbull County Juvenile Detention Center. If convicted on these charges, he faces a sentence of life without parole. His defense immediately appealed. That request eventually made its way all the way to the Ohio Supreme Court who ultimately refused to hear the case on the grounds that it hadn't actually yet gone to trial. His defense then requested a special competency review to evaluate LaRosa's mental fitness to stand trial. The move was heavily criticized as yet another stall tactic put on by his team to further delay the inevitable trial for their client. But in an uncharacteristically bold move, his defense attorneys withdrew the motion for a competency evaluation during the very hearing that was scheduled to review the request on August 4, 2017. The judge, seizing the opportunity to move the case forward in the courts, immediately set Jacob LaRosa's trial date for February 12, 2018. Both sides had a lot to consider in preparing his case for trial, but the defense requested that most of the early evidence gathered in the case against their client be suppressed, claiming LaRosa's rights had been violated during his initial police questioning while heavily intoxicated. It's been almost three years since 94-year-old Marie Belcastro was brutally beaten to death in her Cherry Street home. And attorneys representing the teenager charged in connection to the crime are asking a judge to exclude some evidence at trial, including items collected from his person and his home the day of the murder and statements he made to police. He was crying, uh, obviously, and he just kept saying, he said, I don't know how many times he said they are going to kill me for this. They're going to kill me for this. 
Assistant Prosecutor Chris Becker told the court the state agreed to not use the statement La Rosa gave to Niles Police Lieutenant Dan Adkins at the hospital on March 31st of 2015, but would want to question him about it should he take the stand. But La Rosa's attorneys want other things said to officers suppressed too, including anything he may have said around police. As both sides prepared for trial, additional evidence was released to the media, capturing the initial moments and revealing even more evidence gathered against Jacob LaRosa in the minutes immediately following his transport to the hospital and the discovery of Marie Belcastro's body just minutes later. A search warrant revealed that when police initially responded to LaRosa's home to investigate the alleged assault that left him bloodied and incoherent, responding officer Todd Mobley discovered a pair of pants and shoes near LaRosa's front door and then found the boy in the hallway at the top of the main stairway, vomiting uncontrollably, his underwear and hands covered in blood. After later being read his rights at the hospital by Lieutenant Adkins, police again noted blood on LaRosa's hands and exposed genitals, police later returning to collect swabs of the blood on LaRosa's body after a search warrant had been approved later that night. Upon re-examining the boy's home later in the evening, police also confiscated two additional pairs of LaRosa's shoes, a pair of blue jeans, a shirt, and a pair of eyeglasses believed to belong to the 15-year-old. The glasses were covered in a brownish-red substance, so officers swabbed it to be tested as verifiable blood evidence in the case. As public interest in LaRosa's coming trial continued to grow, intense scrutiny was placed on his deviant past as a juvenile, and though the 18-year-old man sitting in front of them now had clearly matured significantly since his arrest three years before, his criminal record revealed a lengthy de-evolution from youthful deviance to alarmingly violent behavior. As a juvenile, Jacob LaRosa's behavior quickly escalated from a series of runaway attempts and retail thefts beginning in 2013 to drug, alcohol, and illegal prescription drug use in 2014. LaRosa's mother, on multiple occasions, reported that Jacob had taken to leaving his bedroom in the middle of the night disappearing for hours on end and then quietly returning before morning. His illicit drug use became quickly apparent when various pieces of yard equipment, electronic devices, and other family belongings began disappearing from the family home in late 2013, many of them later showing up at local pawn shops. For his multiple runaway attempts and other run-ins with the law, LaRosa was put on probation and eventually house arrest, which he repeatedly violated again and again with little regard for correcting his behavior. He continued collecting new charges ranging from domestic abuse and assault to repeated thefts from neighbors in the block surrounding the family home. In one incident, LaRosa reportedly threw a candle encased in a glass jar at his seven-year-old sister's head, causing a three-inch cut above her eye that required multiple stitches in the emergency room. According to another sibling who was present during the attack, there was no indication the two were arguing or that his outburst in any way was provoked. He seemed to have just snapped acting out violently in an unexplainable rage against his younger sibling. Throughout the rest of 2014, LaRosa was routinely caught stealing, his thefts ranging from lawnmowers from multiple neighbors to money from parked cars and snack food from local convenience stores. Most of the time, the reporting parties failed to press charges on the budding young teenager, instead chalking his behavior up to youthful impulsiveness and poor decision-making. On two separate occasions, police specifically noted that LaRosa's mother was, quote, told numerous times how to file and follow up with Trumbell County's Juvenile Justice Center. However, she appears to fail to do so. One report even noting that LaRosa's stepfather became so concerned that he asked police if his mother could be held liable for his escalating criminal behavior. 
The police advised him that both he and the mother could be held liable as his legal guardians and that they needed to report his behavior to his probation officer or supervisor if nothing improved. The police noted in another report, after being called to Cherry Street because LaRosa was randomly throwing rocks at a neighbor along with passing cars, that Jacob's mother, quote, always justifies her son's actions instead of making him take responsibility. In another report of property theft, police noted that LaRosa's mother told officers that she was unable to control her son's behavior and that he, quote, comes and goes as he pleases. What many considered simple negligence or apathy from Jacob's parents was actually likely much more complicated. You see, Jacob had suffered from mental illness and various cognitive disabilities since early childhood. The first documented instance of his seemingly impulsive and at times dangerous behavior began at age two when he set fire to the inside of the family home. The continued deterioration of his mental health seemed to advance well through adolescence. His struggles were very real and documented. Beginning in first grade, Jacob LaRosa was diagnosed with low average to below average intelligence and placed in special education classes as a result. He was regularly bullied throughout his elementary and middle school years, the victim of various documented assaults by other students and on at least one occasion, a 60-year-old man in the neighborhood that Jacob claimed forced him to smoke marijuana and take Valium at gunpoint. After seeing multiple therapists, LaRosa was eventually also diagnosed with Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder and Bipolar Disorder. Later run-ins with police revealing that he also likely exhibited dependence on cannabis and alcohol, as he was repeatedly ordered to complete substance abuse and dependency programs as part of his probation. In the eventual sentencing memorandums that were publicly released, it was also disclosed that Jacob allegedly suffered from verbal and physical abuse at the hands of his father and stepfather on at least one occasion each. In one instance, he claimed that he was severely beaten with a belt buckle for simply eating snack foods. Jacob LaRosa's complicated and at times abusive childhood seems to have presented the perfect storm of mental health concerns, substance abuse, and bullying and physical abuse that all may have played some small part in triggering his impulsive behaviors to simply spiral out of control. Ahead of his scheduled February trial date, LaRosa's defense had few options. It didn't look good for their client. And in another strange turn of events, LaRosa, now 18 years old, pleaded no contest to all charges in the attempted rape, robbery, burglary, and murder of his 94-year-old neighbor on February 14, 2018. The judge found him guilty on all counts and scheduled his sentencing hearing for April. At the hearing, Marie Bell Castro's daughters gave heartbreaking victim impact statements, along with Jacob's mother, sister, and supporting law enforcement officers who were first on scene. The scope of the tragedy was finally setting in. This 94-year-old woman, Marie Bell Castro, still living a vibrant, independent life until it was so violently taken away by the young man she used to hire to mow her lawn. seeing splatter on the wall and mom's purse dumped. So I go into the first bedroom and there she was on the floor. And I knelt down and I put my hand on her head. And I put my hand on her back and her back was still wet. It was wet with blood. Jacob LaRosa murdered a 94-year-old woman, my mother, a 94-year-old woman who was living actively and independently 
a 94-year-old woman with lots of life left in her. A 94-year-old woman who was born on and lived virtually her entire life on Cherry Avenue. A 94-year-old woman who felt safe and secure in familiar surroundings. A 94-year-old woman who deserved to die of natural causes peacefully in her bed. Before my mother was brutally robbed, burglarized, and murdered, she still had her health, her wit, her humor, her dignity, her grace, her determination, her stamina, her joyfulness, and her hobbies. One of her hobbies was cooking, a passion she pursued her entire adult life. Another hobby was fly fishing, something she learned to do on her 90th birthday. She was a fly fishing celebrity who was featured in articles in Trout Unlimited magazine and Orvis edition. On March 31st, 2015, the worst day of my mother's life and mine, I felt as if I were watching a horror movie. As the details of Jacob LaRosa's abominable crime rolled out, I was shocked, incredulous, confused, angry, and nauseated. I couldn't believe this happened to my dear, sweet, precious mother. I asked my husband, who would do such a thing? Who would ever want to hurt my mother? Everyone who knew Marie, loved Marie, everyone. My poor younger sister had the misfortune to discover our mother's body amidst a grisly scene. On our drive to Niles, the evening of the murder, my mind was racing. Would my sister ever, ever recover from this trauma of finding my mother? Would our children and grandchildren who idolized my mother ever be able to comprehend this heinous, barbaric, unthinkable crime? Would our grandchildren have nightmares about the gruesome death of their beloved Gigi? Would they be scarred for life? Your Honor, I will never understand how Jacob LaRosa, who knew my mother from the time he was a little boy, could take her life. Many were the times Jacob sat by my mother's side on her front porch, where he received my mother's full attention and kindness. My mother had many little flowers, or little fiotis, as she said in her Italian accent. Among them were her grandchildren, her great-grandchildren, her nieces, nephews, cousins, friends, and neighbors. Yes, Jacob LaRosa was one of her little flowers. Everyone loved Marie, everyone. Marie Bel Castro was beloved by her children 
her grandchildren, her neighbors, and her country. She was part of the, quote, greatest generation. One of her daughters sharing during her victim impact statement how Marie worked in a factory during World War II while her husband served in the Army Air Corps. After her husband's health began failing many years later, she got her driver's license and returned to work as a school bus aide at age 60 to ensure that her family was continually cared for and provided for. She was remembered as an amazingly kind, generous, and unselfish person, always giving, always providing. The day of her murder, Jacob LaRosa first stopped by a young girl's home in the neighborhood. He was asking for her, but she wasn't home. She explained to local news crews that evening how badly she felt, that Jacob instead then went to Marie Belcastro's home. I like to think that God protected this little girl from Jacob LaRosa. I like to believe that it was God's will that my mother died a martyr. Jacob beat my mother so brutally that the coroner couldn't even estimate the number of times he hit her. What kind of human being could do these things to a sweet, kind, loving, fragile, 87-pound, 94-year-old woman? What kind of human being repays kindness with unadulterated evil acts? I thank God that Jacob LaRosa cannot be put to death so that every day for the rest of his life, he will remember my mother, what she did for him, and what he did to her. It is my belief that Jacob LaRosa is incorrigible and unredeemable. He needs to be locked up for life, not just for punishment, not just for an example, but most importantly, to protect protect society from evil, from his predatory nature. He cannot be allowed to roam the streets ever again. Jacob LaRosa didn't face the judge again to hear his fate until October of 2018, when Trumbull County Common Pleas Court Judge W. Wyatt McKay finally revealed the depraved acts that LaRosa actually committed inside of the 509 Cherry Avenue home of Marie Belcastro. The events of that day left the courtroom and the community of Niles aghast in horror. Circumstances of the homicide offense. This factor weighs most heavily in favor of the most stringent punishment allowable, life imprisonment without parole. Defendant murdered a frail, 94-year-old woman who was known to be kind to him. There was no known motive for the crime. Defendant brutally beat the victim repeatedly with a mad flashlight. The damage inflicted on the victim was so severe that her brain was visible through the holes in her skull and shards of her hearing aid were strewn throughout the area through which she was assaulted and dragged. Per the coroner's report, the victim's face was crushed with multiple lacerations and fractures of the facial bones. The scalp was crushed with exposure of the underlying soft tissue, muscle, bone, and brain. The damage was so severe 
that the coroner could not venture to guess how many times the victim had been struck with the mag flashlight. The defendant then proceeded to remove the victim's pants and underwear and attempted to sexually assault her bleeding, battered body. Judge McKay first revealed to the courtroom Jacob LaRosa's lifetime categorization as a Tier 3 sex offender due to the depraved sexual nature of his crime. He then went through each of the charges, explaining in detail why consideration of merging convictions for the purposes of sentencing was not permissible, and how Jacob LaRosa committed three separate distinct crimes in Marie Belcastro's home that March afternoon over three years before, and that since committing the murder, he had shown precisely zero remorse and that he had actually, on multiple occasions, been caught bragging to other incarcerated juveniles that he had seen Marie Belcastro's brains that day. The second this defendant crossed the threshold of the Belcastro home and either struck Marie Belcastro inflicting physical harm or picked up the mag-like-style uh, flashlight with the intent to use it as a deadly weapon. As determined in the sentencing hearing in this matter, there are effectively three separate and distinct crime scenes in the Belcastro residence. The living room, the dining room, and the bedroom. The aggravated burglary was completed in the living room at the very latest point of time when the defendant picked up the mag flashlight and struck Marie Belcastro. After the elements of aggravated burglary were satisfied, this defendant dragged Marie Belcastro, still alive at this point according to the testimony of Dr. Germanic, into the dining room area. At this location, the defendant continued to beat her, causing serious physical harm. Further, while in this location, the defendant emptied the contents of her purse onto the floor in an attempt to commit a theft offense. Further, at some point, either before or after the other beatings, and either before or after the death of Miss Belcastro, the defendant went into the basement and stole other items belonging to Miss Belcastro, including alcohol. Judge McKay continued his thorough analysis of the crime scene, reinforcing the prosecution's earlier memorandum, strongly requesting that Jacob LaRosa be sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, because he was a, quote, budding young psychopath who will surely mature into a more skilled and cunning killer should this court allow it. After beating this Belcastro and completing each of uh, the aggravated burglary and aggravated robbery offenses in separate rooms of the house, the defendant dragged Miss Belcastro into the bedroom where, according to the testimony of Dr. Germanic, she was still alive and she continued to actively bleed. At this point, defendant initially placed her on the bed and attempted to rape Miss Belcastro. This is further evidenced by the victim's blood being found uh, later found on this defendant's penis at the hospital. Additionally, this crime is committed with a separate animus, specifically a sexual motivation. The record also reflects uh, another possible animus for this crime. The defendant bragged to other juveniles in the detention facility 
that he wanted to hide her body and save her for later. all of the aggravating and mitigating factors in the case, Judge McKay sentenced Jacob LaRosa to life in prison without the possibility of parole, plus an additional combined 30 years for the aggravated burglary, robbery, and attempted rape of Marie Belcastro. Jacob was still in the beginning stages of his young life when he viciously murdered Marie Belcastro, who, though she had spent nearly 95 years spreading kindness and generosity on Cherry Avenue, still had plenty left to give in hers but he took that opportunity away in a single, depraved, impulsive instant. And while mental illness, substance abuse, or bullying alone are not necessarily predictors of violent behavior, Jacob LaRosa's family saw within him a growing darkness. His mother and stepfather kept their other children's doors locked at night, afraid of Jacob's growing instability, afraid of what he might do to them. They also kept their bedroom door locked, and his stepfather also slept with a loaded handgun under his pillow, just in case. Where they saw the darkness and Jacob's spirit creeping in, Marie Belcastro saw only the light and everyone. Jacob was one of her little flowers, after all, but she could never have predicted that he would eventually turn on her. Her kindness and generosity in the end repaid only with depravity and horror. 